Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Good morning, church, and it's good to be in the house of God. Good to be in the midst of the people of God. Good to see your faces this morning. And so, no reason to be looking half asleep this morning, right? Everyone had that extra hour, right? <laughs> well, some didn't. That's why you actually got to church on time. Well, others are still late, huh? Gosh. Well, anyways, let's get into the word, praise the Lord. But before we do, I did want to just mention, Barbara did already touch on it, but we were in the nursing home with the Bevic family and um, Jessica was there and another lady, Dushenka. And um, yes, and so it was a great opportunity to minister. It was just a great time of worship. It was a great time in the word and uh, just having the opportunity to to minister there, and, and I don't say this in a sarcastic way, um, actually, because I uh, it kind of formulate some of the things that we're going to touch upon, because I was inspired by uh, some of some thoughts that I had on that particular day. But you know, when the when you stand in front of a group of people in an aged care facility, you realise that the old man, the um, the outward man, is perishing, and uh, in the literal sense, and so. Um, and one of the songs we sang was, It is well with my soul. And that's the issue, amen? This body is going to return back to dust. But the whole issue is, is in, It is well with my soul, praise the Lord. And so it was a blessed time. Oh, Rhonda was there too. Forgot that. Sorry, Rhonda. You'll forgive me, I'm sure. Um, but um, uh, anyways, let's get into the word this morning. And, uh, uh, and, we, and we are going to touch upon... The resurrection, um, you know, okay, it's resurrection Sunday, and um, you know, it is what it is in that sense. But nevertheless, I get excited not because it's resurrection Sunday. I really couldn't care less about resurrection Sunday. I get excited about the resurrection, and so it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning that is. Um, as uh, Sister Joan said this morning, she said, uh, we is, is, it is our victory. Hallelujah. And so it surely is. And so that's why I want to focus this morning. And so if you can turn with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to focus on a particular word that is found in the text that we will read. Because the Bible has so much truth that is associated with the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It really does. I mean, it's just everywhere throughout the scriptures. And a glorious truth that it is. And so there's so many aspects that we can consider, but I want to focus in on a few things as related to the text and one particular aspect that I want to kind of emphasize as you'll pick up this morning. And it's a particular word that we find in the scripture. And it is expressed in the Bible through other Greek words. Sorry, through other English words, but they all come from the same Greek word. That's what I should have said. And so it is the word that we will find in our text and others is the word Swallowed, Mm-mm. swallowed. It's kind of a unique word when you think about it in the context in which it's used. But nevertheless, God has ordained it and he has chosen to use it and it, is, it represents a glorious truth in relation to the resurrection and Christ's victory. Swallowed up. Now, 
as we consider the word, there is another scripture in the Bible that, as I said to you, is another word that's used, and it relates to our adversary, the devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says that our adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That word devour is the same word that we will see as used in our text and in relation to Christ and into relation to other aspects. But that word devour is the same word swallowed. It's the same Greek word as we'll see in other aspects of the scripture. And so the enemy, our adversary, seeks those, uh, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may swallow up, whom he may devour. And that word in the Greek, Swallowed up means to gulp entire. <laughs> Think about it. Now, obviously, the Bible is speaking in a figurative sense in this instance. But in other instances, the word is not just in a figurative, but in the literal as well. And that's why when you look at the uh, Strong's uh, Concordance, it, it means to drink down, to gulp entirely, literally or figuratively. Now, in relation to adversary, it's a figurative. But in relation to our Lord Jesus Christ, the word swallowed up is literal. Amen? In relation to that which uh, uh, relates to you and I as we relate to the resurrection and the promises of God and the association of things with it, it is literal. Praise the Lord. And so it's these things that we want to touch upon <coughs> Excuse me, this morning as we consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's not just that, obviously that is at the fore, but it's as it relates to us. Because when we look at Christ's resurrection, we see the gospel, we see the doctrine of the resurrection in scripture, and ultimately we see the resurrection as it relates to us as children of God, as believers in Christ Jesus. The resurrection. And so I want to examine it in the scripture this morning and I want us to uh, uh, obviously have our Bibles open as they are as we move through some scriptures. But I want us to identify with this glorious truth because it's one of those ones that is victorious, it is exciting, it fills your heart with joy in anticipation of what God has prepared for those that love him. And so the title of my message this morning is Swallowed Up by Life. What is swallowed up by life? Well, you, I think you know that. Death is swallowed up by life. So let's read our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. And we'll go through to chapter 5, uh, verse 8. The Bible says, this is Paul the Apostle, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from this body and to be present with 
the Lord. Amen. See, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And his emphasis is seeing the invisible. And not only seeing it, but being absolutely assured of it. Convinced beyond any doubt that that which God has promised, that which God has spoken is true. And we can rest assured that these things will come to pass because he who is faithful who has promised. And so Paul is touching upon some of these things. And just to give you the context, he's just previously been speaking about the fact that there are various sufferings that one will endure for the course of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the previous verses, he makes emphasis of these things. And so he talks about that they are cast down and that they are perplexed. And really the picture that you are getting from Paul the Apostle is that humanly speaking, there is struggle, there is suffering, there is an, an extent of turmoil that relates to the outward but in saying that, he fully understands the dynamics that relate spiritually. Because he says death is working in us, but life is working in them as a result of that. But nevertheless, there is a dimension of suffering. And so he, he, he then we pick it up where he says, therefore, we do not lose heart in the context of the experiences of life that we live. And really, in all honesty, it's not too bad in Australia. Um, when, when we think it's getting bad, just consider the brethren across the world, amen, and some of the things that they are enduring, and you begin to realize we are not even near that. And so it's always good to have a, a balanced perspective on things, and Paul does, and so he says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Why? Why don't we lose heart? Well, he makes it clear. He says, though the outward man is perishing. That's the truth. We're all getting older. We're all going to physically die unless the Lord returns and, and uh, we are, are translated and heaven in the rapture, the resurrection as we know it, then praise the Lord, that would be great. But other, outside of that, uh, that is the reality that befalls each of us. And we're exhorted not to lose heart because even though the outward man is perishing, Paul says the reality is, is that the inward man is being renewed, listen, day by day. And so day by day, the outward man is getting older. Day by day, the inward man is being constantly renewed and strengthened and empowered in Christ. So the soul is getting stronger. Amen, sister. Yes. Rona, amen. Because uh, we have an internal spirit that dwells in us, and we'll get to some of these aspects a little later. But nevertheless, this is what Paul is saying. Don't lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now look at verse 17. He says, for our light affliction. And notice his words, our light affliction. I mean, you read about Paul's life, and I tell you, when he gives a little account of the things he suffered, I wouldn't call them light afflictions. We have light afflictions compared to what Paul had. But Paul has perspective, and he says, for our light afflictions, which is but for a moment. See, he has an understanding. He says this, is working for us. Now think about that. Those things that we endure and suffer externally uh, as a result of preaching the gospel and sharing Christ and all of those things that befall us as a Christian, being hated by the world and all, the, all the, that aspect of things. He says, all the afflictions that one experiences are but for a moment. And in actual fact, these things are working, he says, for us. They're actually working for us in the fact that they are producing a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So in other words, outwardly uh, and to the world, this seems like a 
waste of time. It just seems full on defeatism. It's all negative. There's nothing good that can come out of this. But yet in God's sight, when we endure these things for for those moments, and then one day, amen, these things are working for us a far greater exceeding weight of glory. Meaning in terms of the reward and the blessings and the promises that are ahead that we will enter into. And we have to have that understanding in relation to the kingdom of God and our relationship to the world that we live in. Otherwise, you lose perspective. That's why Paul's speaking these things. That's why he's writing under the inspiration of God to you and I. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And really, like James has a tendency to do when he ponders some of these things and shares them with us as he did in the communion. When you, when you stop and ponder the word of God this morning, when you consider what Paul is saying here and you meditate upon this, there are glorious truths that are associated with what Paul's trying to express, what he's wanting them to capture, the very essence of what he's trying to tell us and more so what the Spirit of God wants to speak to us this morning. They are so rich, the words and the truths that Paul, the apostle, is speaking about. In verse 18, he says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that's the simple fact, isn't it? We can't get caught up at the things that we see around us. We, we, we're, we're seeing the invisible, as we said, and as the caption says in my Bible. We, we see in the spiritual. We see that's beyond the physical, beyond the natural. And so, therefore, we don't look at the things that are seen. We interpret life on a spiritual level. We, we, we interpret the experiences of life spiritually. We are spiritual minded. We have the mind of Christ. And in doing so, we filter things completely different than the world does. Our thinking is completely opposite to the world. And so we are looking at the things that are not seen. We're interpreting the experiences of our life by the things that we don't see. We endure uh, all things on the, thing, on the basis of that which we don't see. And that seems crazy to the world. But it is perfect and logical sense to the Christian. And so Paul speaks about the temporary and the eternal. And we are always interpreting things on the eternal perspective. And in light of that, he moves into chapter 5. And he states and he says, For we know that our earthly house, this tent, or in other words, he's talking about this physical body that we, that we reside in. We know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You see, What is Paul speaking about here? Because this is a pretty, you know, outrageous statement if you think about it. And so Paul, when he speaks this, in his mind, as he's about to make reference to in a a more subtle sense, he builds on it in other places, which we'll look at in a moment. But he's actually in his mind, he's thinking, and he's thinking of the resurrection, That's what he's speaking about when he says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, so be it. To dust it came, from dust it shall return. Then uh, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so he's thinking now uh, uh, of the doctrine of the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ and the promise of resurrection for the believer, the child of God, the church of Jesus Christ as we know it. We make reference to this. We talk about the rapture (coughs) in the Bible. Where the dead in Christ shall rise first and those that are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with him. And so when we talk about the rapture resurrection, it's interchangeable in this instance. And so this is what we're waiting for until mortality is swallowed up by life. 
This is what he's building and leading to. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. For in this, he says, we groan. We're groaning because we're waiting for this to transpire. We realize that everything else is temporary at the moment. Even this body that we live in is temporary. We have something that's far more glorious coming, and that is eternal. And we are anticipating that. So in, con- in that context, in verse 2, he says, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Now notice this. He says that we, he's, he's talking about being clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. And so we just, we've just already emphasized this. But he uses the expression and he says, we groan for this reality to come to pass and it will because God has declared that he has promised it but we're groaning because we're waiting for it you know Paul uses this word groan often in the scriptures doesn't he when you you read in Romans and it's a uh, again it's a there's a great emphasis on our hope and um, and being glorified when Christ returns and so forth and again he uses we he uses this expression we groan within ourselves as we'll read that a little later too we groan so this is an expression that he uses here in the text he groans and so why is Paul groaning is the question that I want to put to you this morning. Why is he groaning? What's the thought that he's trying to convey to the Corinthians and to you and I this morning? Because uh, uh, he says uh, in verse, verse 4, look, he says, For we who are in this tent, in this body, we groan. There it is again. Now he says, being burdened. He expresses it in these words, groan, being burdened. In what way being burdened? Obviously, Paul is talking about having to endure the trials and the tribulations of life because they become burdensome. That's the truth. The flesh is weak and weary and sometimes uh, uh, as we have to endure these things and persevere through various events and circumstances of life, they... We, we get to a point where we become burdened. We groan in ourselves, Lord, just take me now. <laughs> Lord, just come back now. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's human nature. That's, what, uh, that's an aspect of what Paul is touching upon. But I want to draw your attention this morning because when Paul says that we groan or he, and we are burdened in verse 5, being burdened, now listen to what he says because... Even though the trials and tribulations of life are a factor, what Paul is saying is this is not the primary motivator. Now listen to this. He says, For we who are in this tent, we groaned, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. So it's, it's not like, I just want to get out of here. Even though that's true. Okay, I'm not saying that's wrong. It's actually true. That exists. That's a reality. And Paul's already acknowledged that. But that's not the motivation why Paul is writing and saying this. Paul's motivation is not a self-centeredness. It is a God-centeredness. And Paul realises the purposes of God. He realises the promises of God. He realises his inheritance in Christ Jesus and his desire. He is burdened and he's groaning because he wants to enter into the fullness of God now. I don't want to have to wait any longer. Not so much to be unclothed, that's part of it. But that's not, the, that's not the motivating reason. That's not the primary reason. It's a reason, no doubt. But it's secondary to the fact that God has a, a promise for you and I. A glorious promise of resurrection. And we say, come Lord Jesus. Lord, I want to enter into your promises and the fulfillment and the fullness of God. I, we're burdened with that. And this is what Paul says. So let's read verse 4 again. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. There's that expression. Mortality. 
You see, we are in mortal bodies this morning. That word mortal means to be, it's, it's dying. There's, it's mortal. It's, it is death is at work in our members. If, isn't that true? And so we are subject to mortality now in this tent, in this body. And we can't escape that until the Lord returns or until we enter into that time of the resurrection in which we are clothed with a new body, a habitation, as Paul would call it, from heaven. And so this is what we are anticipating, not so much to be unclothed, but to be further clothed. The next phase of our salvation becoming fully completed. That's what we are burdened for. That's what we are groaning for. And he says that mortality may be swallowed up by life. I love it. So that which is dying, death itself, will be gulped up, devoured by life. Because when we talk about God this morning, when, you know, there's no death that is associated with God. God is light. God is life. When light comes in, darkness is dispelled. Amen? And so it is engulfed. Light engulfs the darkness. It swallows it up. It's gone in an instant. And when God, amen, when we talk about God himself being life, no death is in his presence. And so again, it is swallowed up. And Paul says that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Hallelujah. Swallowed up. Paul is living in anticipation of this, that that which is dying may be swallowed up by life. And I love the picture that the Holy Spirit is giving us through Paul the Apostle this morning. Because that word I said to you before, swallowed up, devoured, to gulp entirely, this is a picture of victory. This is a picture that, uh, uh, of victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of what one, Christ has done, and two, what we will become participants of, and three, in a sense, in, in, a, in a real sense, we already have. Now, what we're talking about here, Paul's touching upon it to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians here, but You'll know that back when he wrote his first letter to the church at Corinth, he expounded in great more detail this, this truth that he's referring to here in our text. So go back to, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because here is a whole chapter <coughs> that is dedicated to the, the resurrection. And it's dedicated to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, re it's dedicated to the resurrection of the believer. It focuses on what we call the gospel. It focuses on a risen saviour. It focuses on death that has been defeated. It focuses on the last enemy that will be destroyed, in, that is death itself. It focuses on a glorious body that we will receive at the time of the resurrection, at the last trump. And it shall sound and we shall be changed in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet when that which is corruptible will put on incorruption or that which is mortal will put on immortality. See, mortality will be swallowed up by life. Eternal life, an eternal celestial body that we will possess. Remember Jesus Christ, we talk about his, 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 uh, uh, his death and his burial and his resurrection, but remember he ascended in a physical body. He ate, after his resurrection, he ate fish and he drank. And they touched him, they handled him, and then he ascended on the cloud into heaven. And so we will have a celestial body. What will it exactly look like and be like? I don't know. I, I haven't gone that far in my study of the scriptures. But you know what? I'll just leave that in God's hands. But I know that that's what's coming. This is what the Bible's promising us. 
and it focuses on a glorious body that we will have. Our, it calls it, uh, it is in a sense our final victory of the victory that we already have. So I want you to follow with me. Read, I want to read from verse 50 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul writes and he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This, this body, contaminated as it is by sin, mortal as it is, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. But, but behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when corruptible has been has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. That's why Paul writes in Corinthians that, uh, that mortality will be swallowed up by life because he writes it to the Corinthians in his first letter that death would be swallowed up in victory. And it's in italics because he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. Let me read it to you where the God speaks through the prophet and he says, he, uh, speaking of the Messiah, and Christ, uh, God, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Now think about that. He will swallow up death forever. And Paul says death is swallowed up in victory. Because God is, you know, remember, death came in as a result of sin. This was never God's intended plan. Death is not part of the nature of God. God is life. And so here it is, death will be swallowed up in victory. The Bible says in, in the Old Testament, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces. Now think about that. Because... We endure much suffering in this life for various reasons and for just things that, that cause us immense grief. And these things are real to us. I'm not, but, and that's why the scripture says that God will wipe away every tear. Because only God can. How, because God will do it. He will wipe away every tear. And death will be swallowed up. Mortality will be swallowed up by life. This is what the scripture is telling us. The Hebrew word in Isaiah for swallowed up means to make a, to, to make a way with, by swallowing. It means to destroy. So just God will destroy death. He already has. We'll get to that in a minute. But the final fulfillment of it is all coming to pass and shall come to pass. But, you know, I was thinking about swallowing up and I thought of uh, in the Old Testament uh, there in, in Korah and those rebels and they came against Moses. And the Bible says then God, as he brings the judgment down upon them, the earth opened up and swallowed them. <laughs> Gulp. And close back up. Can you just picture that for a moment? The earth opened up and swallowed them. And God, this is the picture. God devours his enemies. God, uh, uh, life um, uh, will swallow up death. It'll gulp it up in one single gulp. Won't even have to chew it. <laughs> And so we have this 
revealed to us in the scriptures, death will be swallowed up in victory. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, after Paul says death is swallowed up in victory, he says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? It's defeated. It's been swallowed up. It's been engulfed by God himself. And so we see that the thought that Paul has in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians relates to the fact of being further clothed, as he puts it, further clothed. And that's what we are anticipating. That's what we are looking to. We want to be further clothed. Yes, we want to be unclothed. I get it, no doubt. We all share that. But that's not the primary reason. We will be unclothed when we are further clothed. And that's what we're looking at to be further clothed. Death will be swallowed up. But now, I want to bring your attention to the fact that death has been swallowed up in victory. Amen? You see, this is why we are filled with victory. This is why we are filled with, uh, um, with joy in our hearts. This is why we groan within ourselves. This is why we are burdened, because we want that which has already been accomplished and that which is promised to us to be ours as soon as possible, because Christ has defeated death. Amen. You see how uh, God, uh, in identifying with humanity, as James pointed out, he came as a man and he humbled himself as a man, the creator of heaven and earth. And the Bible says in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself to the point of death. He subjected himself to such humiliation. He subjected himself to such an horrific death that he allowed himself to be, to be beaten and bruised. And the Bible says in Isaiah that it pleased the Lord to bruise him when you make his soul an offering for sin. His Bible says that his, his, uh, his appearance was marred more than any other man. You are talking about an horrific death that he was subjected to like no other individual. And the Bible says that he tasted death and he tasted it for all of us. But you know, this is why it's so good, amen, because death could not hold him down. You're talking about Jesus Christ. You're talking about the life of God. You're talking about God himself. Amen. And Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And it's exactly what happened. And so you have the death and then three days and three nights and then you have the resurrection where Jesus comes from the grave. He conquers death. And this is the resurrection. This is the victory. And so when we look at Christ, we see that and we look at that and we are in awe because he is the only one, amen, who, was defeat, who defeated death. We know that uh, Enoch was translated and, uh, and he's a picture of the rapture and so forth. But his Christ, having suffered, died and was buried and was dead for three days and then being resurrected to life. You see, death has already been swallowed up in victory. Christ and his resurrection. See, the Bible refers to Christ as the first fruits. Christ is the first fruits of that which is to come. And Christ was the first to rise from the dead. That's why the Bible speaks in 1 Corinthians 15 about the, res- the doctrine of the resurrection. And he says, it says these words, If Christ is not risen then your faith is futile. Your faith is empty, it's worthless, it has no substance to it. What separates Christ from any other religious figure or so-called religious figure is the resurrection, amen? Because Muhammad's in the grave. Every other religious leader is in the grave, but you can go to the grave, as uh, Gemma said, and he's not there. He is risen. 
And so here it is. It's the resurrection that separates uh, the fact that Christ has conquered death. And there it is. Uh, if Christ is not risen, then our faith is futile. It's empty. But the reality is, uh, is that he is and our faith is full. Our faith is real. Our faith is not fantasy. It is fact. And it is reality. It is literal this morning, not just figurative. Christ literally rose, and the fact of the matter is, is that we too will literally rise. And this is again Paul's burden. Christ swallowed up death. Christ, he devoured the devil. Amen? Christ devoured death. He swallowed them all up with one big entire gulp, as the definition will tell us. And his resurrection is our resurrection. And Paul's burden is our burden because this future promise is something that we are waiting for. Paul uses the word again. He says, we are burdened, being burdened. Can I ask you, are you burdened? Because this is something, when we, this word in the Greek burden means to, to be heavy. Can I ask you this morning, is the promises of God, is the fulfillment of Christ's and us entering into for the fullness of our salvation, full salvation, salvation completed, the resurrection, does this occupy your thoughts? Does this weigh and burden your heart that as you go about your day-to-day -day mundane things in life, you are thinking of that which is eternal, not just that which is temporal? Because I'll say this to you this morning, if you are not burdened, then your heart is too attached to this world. True? If we are not burdened, if we have not sensed that sense of burden, then our heart is too attached to this world. We're too attached to the temporary. I'm not saying we don't live in the temporary, but we are not attached to it in the manner in which the world is. We are looking for him, the living hope, amen, who will, who will come. We are looking for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are living for. This is what occupies our thoughts. And we groan and we are burdened because we too, like Paul, want to be further clothed this morning. Now let's go back to our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul states and says, mortality may be swallowed up by life. But I want to draw your attention because it will happen. What we have, what we have just touched upon, mark it down. It will happen. It's coming. It is so close. But in verse 5, Paul says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Now think about that. He, God has prepared us for this very thing. And so this is at the forefront of our understanding as Christians, or so it should be. So Paul says, well, he who has prepared us for this moment, and this promise is God himself. Now the question is, how has he prepared us? How has he prepared us? Look at the text, verse 5. Who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Amen. You see, the gospel is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God has deposited his Spirit in us as a guarantee, having prepared us for that which is to come. Now think about that. What is a guarantee? It's a pledge. It's a down payment. So for example, <clears throat> in the, I'll read it to you just from the, uh, in the, in, from the Hebrew. It says it's of Hebrew origin. It means a pledge. Part of the purchase money or property given in advance as security for the rest. So God says, you know what, you are mine and I'm putting my spirit in you as a guarantee, as a down payment, as a deposit 
and I, uh, uh, that, that and, and until the time comes in which, uh, and this is the security in which I come for the rest of my possession. And so this is the confidence that we have. We have the Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee. Amen. Because if the Spirit of Christ is not in us, we are not His. That's what the Scripture says in Romans 8. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. But you, if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, then there is the guarantee, there is the down payment, there's the pledge, there's the security of the purchased possession. And God in His timing, He's going to lay claim into the fullness of that which He has purchased. And we will be given, death will be swallowed up by life and we'll have the new uh, incorruption, uh, corruption will put on incorruption and, and uh, mortality will put on immortality. And so thank God for the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen? Amen. Thank God for the guarantee. In Romans, let me read it to you further. Listen, in Romans 8, verse 23, there's another aspect that I want you to consider in what we're considering here. And Paul writes and he says, um, as he, he, he speaks here, he says, not only that, let me go to it. In verse 23 is where he expresses it, but he's talking about the whole fact that creation is groaning to be delivered and the, the creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, for the full salvation, for us, amen, to be glorified in Christ and to enter into his glory and we will be glorified with him. And the whole creation is waiting for this eagerly and this is what Paul talks about, that which is coming. But then he says in verse 23, actually look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labours. Not only do we groan, but the creation is groaning. Because it's waiting, amen, for the manifestation of God's, of God's fulfilment and promises and, the, and everything to be reversed and restored as it once was. But look at verse 23. Now not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. You see, our soul has already been redeemed. Our spirit born of above. We are born again. We have become children of God. The Spirit has been put down as a deposit, as a guarantee of the purchased possession. And the Bible uses this phrase, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the first fruits. We are the first fruits. And therefore, Christ being the ultimate first fruit. But then we with him. And so the Bible says we're groaning within ourselves because we're, we're waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. And this is what Paul touches upon in Romans, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He keeps referring and bringing this back into focus. Because this is, what we're, this is what we're burdened for. This is what we're living for. This is seeing the invisible. This is seeing the unseen. This is the eternal. And we have to be spiritually minded. That's so why Paul says, the outward man's perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Our final salvation. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse number six. Paul speaks that the Spirit has been given as a guarantee. And then in verse six he says, as, so as a result of this, we are always confident. He didn't say we are sometimes confident. Or we're confident based on how we feel. He said, regardless of how we feel, we are always confident. Always confident knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for 
and the evidence or confidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11 verse 1. And when you can see the invisible, when you can see through, your, through, through the revelation, when God opens your understanding and your eyes to the spiritual realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you see the eternal, not the temporal, then I tell you, like this, you will always be confident, regardless of whatever the circumstances are. Amen. I have the Spirit as a guarantee. I am His and He is mine. And I am secure in him, as the scripture will tell us. And so we live with that assurance in our hearts as we hold fast and as we endure unto the end. Don't lose heart. And that's why when Paul will write in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, he will say, um, uh, do not cast away your confidence. Don't cast away your confidence because it's your confidence that has great reward. It's your expectation in the promises of God. You must have confidence in what God has promised. You must have confidence in what God has declared. Because if you don't have confidence, what do you have? Hopelessness? Discouragement? Despair? Those attributes don't belong to the child of God. I understand. Paul says, I'm cast down, but I'm not conquered. I'm perplexed, but he says, I'm not in despair. And that's the context of which he's writing in. And so I say to you, amen, be confident, always confident of this fact, because he who's promised is faithful. God has declared it. And, it, it, and so it will be. And we live in that hope. We live in that expectation. So Paul says, I groan, not to be unclothed. Of course, that's part of it, but to be further clothed. Because I can't wait to enter into the next phase of what God has prepared for those that love him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. My God, I just thank you for the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the word of God that speaks to us, that God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, your word teaches us, your word corrects us, your word comforts us, your word challenges, it convicts, but God, your word reveals. And Lord, I pray for your people this morning. God, let us go from this place always confident not sometimes, not dependent upon circumstances, as bad as things can get and may be and as much as they affect us even. Lord, we can rest assured in you. We can, you are an anchor of our soul. Lord, I just thank you for who you are, what you have done and what you will do. Blessed be your name. Amen. God bless you this morning. Be encouraged. Glory to God. Amen.